0: what a powerful series it's been walking through the book of malachi pastor brian's done an incredible job in the tension of conviction and condemnation remember we've talked a lot about that how this book reminds us of what we are to be convicted about and it puts us right in front of the mirror so that we are confronted with sin and we see who we really are in the face of glory and and the half-heartedness and the lukewarmness that we can sometimes bring, we see that there's no place for that here. And Malachi reminds us of that, that we are to bring our genuine worship into the house of God. Malachi is the last prophet to prophesy in the Old Testament. This is the last book in the Old Testament. So one page separates The Old Testament from the New Testament. I want to just say this from the beginning. It blows my mind when I think about the fact that that page represents 400 years of God, as far as we know, not speaking to his people through a prophet. We don't see any more... Recorded prophecy in that 400 year period until God sends an angel to speak to Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. When Zechariah was doing his priestly duties in the temple, God sent a messenger to say, You're going to have a son. His name's going to be John the Baptist, and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. 400 years of silence broken. To a man whose name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. The Lord doesn't forget his children. The Lord doesn't forget his promises. The Lord doesn't forget what he said. And as the people of God hung in this balance of all of the prophecy that they were looking forward to being fulfilled and they were hearing nothing for this amount of time, God comes back emphatically to a man named Zechariah, which means the Lord remembers. And Malachi today begins the end of this prophecy. God begins the end of this prophecy through Malachi, you see what I'm saying, with this word, remember. Remember, verse four. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers so that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. As we come to the end of this prophecy, we see that the temple has been rebuilt, right? The, 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 the century prior to Malachi, when Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet were rebuilding the temple and and preaching in in the season of rebuilding and restoring the temple they were preaching warnings and they were paying careful attention to how the people were half-hearted in their worship to God or not worshiping God at all in this season as the temple was being reconstructed and, and we see here that Malachi is dealing with the same thing. Yes, the temple is back, but now the people are already growing tired with their worship. And we've studied this over the past several weeks. They're coming with weak offerings, they're coming with half hearted, lukewarm worship. And God is warning them through Malachi, and we receive this warning today as well, that He wants our genuine worship, genuine, whole full-hearted, whole-hearted worship to him. There's no room for complacency. There's no room for cold-hearted rituals. There's no room for cheap offerings. There's only one seat for the living God. And that is the place of honor on the throne of our hearts. So as we close this book of Malachi and we close the Old Testament, we see that God chooses to remind us of two things. The first thing is he reminds us to remember what he has commanded. And then he reminds us to remain ready for his return. Remember, remain ready. We got all kind of, I guess so many R's today. I don't know, if that, I don't know how I'm going to say all these R's today. You know what I'm saying? And if y'all don't laugh, it's going to be a long one. So we come to these complex yet beautiful prophecies about the end times. And we go slowly through them. So I'm going to take my time today to help you hopefully understand what God is saying to us today. A long time ago, a mother and a daughter were coming back home from church and they were walking home. This was before cars. Okay. And they're walking back home from church, and the little girl had just been taught about the rapture in church, so she had a lot of questions for her mom. And she asked her mom, do you believe Jesus will come back, mom? The mom said, yes, of course, sweetie, I do. And the girl said, could he come back today? And the mom said, yes, he could. He could come back today, any anytime. In a few minutes, like, he could come back right now, or just in a few minutes, and Mom said, yes, dear. And the little girl said, mommy, would you comb my hair in case he comes back? He could come back today. And sometimes we need to have this childlike remembrance and faith to simplify the reality that when God gives us these prophecies of his return, he wants us to pay attention to him and to the fact that he's coming back any day. And with that posture of remaining ready, you would be shocked at how much that affects the decisions that you make throughout your day. So let's walk through the text together. Verse four. That we just read, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all. Israel, God takes us to this incredible scene on Mount Sinai. We see in Exodus chapter 19 and 20 before God delivered the 10 commandments to Moses this incredible scene. Look at verse 9, chapter 19 verse 18 of Exodus. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the entire mountain quaked violently. Just get in the picture for a second. Smoke. And the mountain is quaking violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder, I'm like, what trumpet? You know, the trumpet. When you hear this trumpet, you know the trumpet. When it grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. This isn't a laughing thing. You know, they're they're like, what is about to happen? I don't see trumpets. And I don't know where that thunder's coming from. And it's actually a voice. Then the Lord, verse 20, came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Imagine that. Come up here in thunder. So he went up he obeyed. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down and warn the people so that they do not break through to the Lord to stare. And many of them perish, go warn them so that they don't come up here and stare at this glory and then perish. God's creating this scene. Why well, why would God create such a scene, you know, and and and, that, and say, don't come near it, or else you're gonna perish. I want you to see that God has been consistent with sin from the beginning. God is consistent with sin. It it must always be dealt with. And the wages of sin is always death. So if, if anything unclean comes in the presence of Yahweh, it will be burned. It will be obliterated, destroyed unless there is protection for it. God deals consistently with sin throughout history. And at at the same time, he always provides a path of deliverance. He always provides a way for his people to be delivered from the sin that will destroy them in the presence of his perfection and holiness. I want you to look at the parallels here in this scene when God calls Moses up. Remember, he's already, led Moses, he's already led Moses to lead the people out of captivity through Egypt. So Moses, God has, has appointed him to be the intercessor for the people, to stand in the gap for the people, to come and communicate with God on behalf of the people. And God also has appointed Moses to be the deliverer, to lead God's people out of captivity. Moses is a foreshadow of Jesus Our great high priest who intercedes for God's people. Jesus, the great Messiah, who was the promised deliverer for God's people. That's what Messiah means. The promised deliverer. There's there's a path to deliverance. And it begins and ends with Jesus. God said, remember the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Remember is a common Old Testament command. It's a common Old Testament command and it's common for a reason. And God starts off this last section of the last book of the Old Testament in this way. Moses is constantly reminding the people of Israel to remember throughout the book of Deuteronomy. If I had time to read at least chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, I would right now. I want you to do it later. It's unbelievable to see God speaking through his servant Moses to his people. But I just want to read this one section from Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may do them in the land where you are going over to take possession of it. So that you, your son and your grandson will fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Look at verse 4 in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. And you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your head. (laughs) Imagine if we walk around with that, just clanking around. I'm going to try to give you some comic relief. And if it doesn't work, I might quit. But because we're going there today. You shall tie them as a signpost, not on your head, I'm sorry, to your hand, that's even better. And they shall be as frontlets on your forehead to constantly remind you. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and you shall love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Remember, remember, it's a command. And do whatever you gotta do to remember. Tie it on your arm, put it on your forehead. Memorize it on your heart. Remember, Moses said, so that, look back at verse two for a second. Deuteronomy six, verse two. So that, this is, this is why. So that you and the generations beyond you, your sons and your grandsons, will fear the Lord Your God, so that you will fear the Lord, your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Remembering is a necessary discipline. for genuine worship. Remember, God says it over and over remember. If we're going to genuinely worship, we've been talking about it all series, genuine worship. If, if our worship's going to be genuine, we must remember who our God is, what he has said, and what he has done so that we can look forward to the future and where he's leading and what he's going to do. Let's keep moving in the text. Malachi 4 verse 5. Behold, 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 Pay attention is what that means. I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Many questions arise here, at least for me. Is he literally talking about Elijah the prophet? Is is this a spiritual or a physical Elijah the prophet? What What are we talking about here? You know, the Jewish tradition, they literally it was in their tradition to leave a plate and a place at the table for Elijah in case he returned. So that if, that if that day would be the day where he returned based on this prophecy, they would have a place for him to sit. And that may seem weird and I'm not prescribing that we start doing it, but I love that. Because even if Elijah Doesn't come back in bodily form, which if we're taking it literally, he's going to. But even if he doesn't, I think it's a pretty good way to remind ourselves every single night when that plate's empty. That the Lord is returning and he is preparing the hearts of fathers and children to be ready. And he's turning hearts back to himself. Should we take this literally? Should we take this physically that Elijah's coming back? Is, is this a sign of the end when Elijah the prophet comes back? How long is this period going to last? How, how long are we going to? This is what I've done all week. Like, how am I going to explain something that doesn't make sense to me? If I'm honest. So we're going to go through Scripture to hopefully help bring some clarity to this. I've got as much as I possibly can in the time that allows. But before we do that, I wanna say something because what God has resolved in my heart as I've been begging him for clarity, can it just be clear what you're saying here about Elijah the prophet? I wanna tell you the the resolution in my heart is that although that's awesome and although these things are gonna blow our minds, these prophecies when they come to be fulfilled, although all of these things are great, the point is that God is coming back And he's sending his son Jesus again to come and reign forevermore. So, whether it's Elijah, the Tishbite, and whether you got a plate at your table ready for him or not, he's coming. And we must remain ready. But because you're all like, that's a cop out, I'm going to keep moving through. Uh, The text here, because in Luke one, remember I talked about we we find a a priest, Zechariah, who was John the Baptist to be father performing his ceremonial duties in the temple and an angel visited him. I think we have it for the screen. Luke one, 13 through 17. Yes, sir. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall name him John. You will have joy and gladness and and many will rejoice over his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will drink no wine or liquor and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb and he will turn many of the sons of Israel Back to the Lord their God. And look at verse 17, the parallel language here. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, capital H, Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, same language, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This was John the Baptist's destiny. This was prophesied to Zechariah, his dad, that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Jesus quotes Malachi 3 1 in identifying. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. You remember Malachi 3.1 where it talks about a messenger that's going before. This is what Jesus says in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 11. This is the one about whom it is written. John the Baptist. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi 3.1. Verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been treated violently and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is taking us a step deeper into identifying John the Baptist as the messenger that was to come from Malachi chapter three, verse one. So we see that prophecy being fulfilled in John the Baptist, right? Then in Matthew chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus goes a step even further than that. So Jesus has been transfigured in his glory. His face is shining with the Shekinah glory. And the, the, the disciples are like, Whoa. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Don't tell anybody until this is fulfilled, this is completed, until I've risen from the dead. Let's make sure to lean in that direction, guys. And his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? So they had the same questions. So we're not alone. Why does it say that that Elijah must first come. And Jesus answered and said, Elijah is coming. He is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. And so also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Look at what Jesus does here. He affirms the prophecy of Malachi to be true. And then he he points to this parallel connection with John the Baptist. And, And just as John the Baptist, when they asked him who he was and asked him if he was Elijah, he said, no, 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 that's not me. Jesus also makes this clear. John the Baptist is not the actual Elijah. This, he, he's a preview. Just like Moses was a preview of Jesus. Just like Elijah is a preview of Jesus. Just like John the Baptist is making a way and, and previewing the way so that we could be ready for Jesus. It's all pointing to him. <laughs> He came, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah as the forerunner for the Messiah to prepare people for Jesus's first arrival. And then when Jesus comes back, according to Malachi 4, 5, Elijah will be the forerunner to come before that day of judgment to prepare the way for the resurrected Christ. I'm not going to add anything else because most likely it's bad. So I'm just going to stick with what scripture says. Let's keep moving to verse six. (laughs) Verse six. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So that I will not come and strike the land with complete destruction. It's a beautiful phrase, and at face value, I don't understand it. Again, welcome. Glad I could be with you today. He will turn, Elijah will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, so that when that day comes, the great and terrible day, the judgment comes God will not completely destroy everything. This could be interpreted as gospel unity within the family. I've read a lot about that this week, that potentially he could be specifically talking about the family unit and how the gospel will turn back the hearts of fathers to their children and we could be in this beautiful unity because of the gospel because Christ has forgiven us and so now we can forgive one another and have unity. And the the gospel is our only hope for true unity and reconciliation. There could be some of that here and I I believe that, that that's true. But this prophecy is spiritual before it's physical. And I wanna unpack that a little bit. Fathers, spiritual fathers, spiritual fathers, spiritual children. The gospel has made it possible for us to be in a new bloodline where we're not limited and bound by our human bloodline, but that we've been given the blood of the lamb through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, and now all of a sudden this is we're in this lineage of grace, this spiritual lineage of grace that's not bound by the physical and the natural. The promise here is generational reconciliation by the power of the gospel. This is the lineage of grace. The legacy of genuine worship passed down through the turning of hearts. I'm going to say it again. This is the legacy of genuine worship passed down through the turning of hearts. God's way of redemption, I love this, is, is ancient and it's brand new all at the same time. He's been doing it way before you were even a thought in your parents' mind. And he's passing down the hope for reconciliation. He's passing down the hope for redemption. He's he's passing it down through the same means and that's the blood of Jesus. And he's doing it through the spiritual lineage of grace that we've been granted as we've been adopted into his family. He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God always emphasizes the heart, doesn't he? When this prophecy was delivered, remember, the church was in shambles. The church was not in a hopeful, prosperous, successful, growing place. The church was in a bad place. The temple had been rebuilt and restored over the past hundred years before Malachi and the Those prophets, remember we talked about earlier, Zechariah, Haggai, they wrestled over the same thing that Malachi is wrestling over today. They're wrestling over the lack of faith or the half-hearted faith or or the weak worship of the people. And they're urging them, they're warning them. There's coming a day. There's coming a day where he's going to come and judge the living and the dead. The same thing, I want you to see this as we think about the lineage of grace. The same thing that Zechariah and Haggai fought for and wrestled with in the people. Malachi is fighting for a century later. And we are still fighting for it today. This ancient word that's bringing new life still today. Genuine worship flows down from the heart of our spiritual fathers. This genuine worship is is like Romans 12. One says, offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, offering up your whole body as a living sacrifice. All day, every day, not just once a week, living sacrifice, not just with your songs, not just with money, living sacrifice, all of you, holy and pleasing to God. We talked about it all series long, but there's a clear difference in whole, like wholehearted worship and half-hearted, lukewarm worship. God is after us giving our whole life to him. That's not easy. But it's worth it. The people were bringing cheap, inferior, weak offerings to God in the temple. They, these goats were gimpy, you know. And they were. I want you to think about it this way: they were able to do that. They were able to do that. They were able. Very little conviction. Very little remorse. And because of that, they began to drift away. Slowly. The slow fade away. This is how darkness works. This is how sin works. Contamination is a slow process. Some of you today might be bringing in, I mean, we're not literally offering goats in this place, but we're offering something and it it, it might be a little gimpy if we're honest. And I want to warn you today, as we've been warning you throughout this series, that there's no place for that half-hearted stuff in the house of God. That's a heart check for us. That's a challenge. What are we bringing to him? Are we bringing him our best? Are we bringing him our first fruit? Are we opening up our hands and saying, God, my whole life is yours. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't have all the answers. But my whole life is yours as a living sacrifice. Because I haven't found anything in this world that comes close to what you offer And because my heart has been turned to you, and I know that I know that I know that you are the only way, you are the only truth, and you are the only life. So I'm coming to follow you, and I'm going to do it with everything. I'm not bringing a gimpy goat. I'm bringing everything that I am. That's the new covenant offering. Does that make sense? That's, a, that's the new covenant offering. We've, we've now taken a step way further into this thing. We're not checking boxes with goats. We're not checking boxes with rituals. He wants all of you. He wants all of me. I don't know. I don't, can't tell how you're feeling about that, but I want to run out and, and like cry about it for a little while. He wants all of me. And I'm bringing him gimpy goats, blind, with ears torn off, keep the good ones just in case I need it on a rainy day. They were able to do this. You see how that works? The the sin creeps in and contamination is a slow process. and, And one day we're doing pretty good and we're in the house of God. And then a few weeks later, it's like, whoa, how did I end up here? Most of the time, most of the time, the worst damage done to the church is from lukewarm hearts in religious disguise. Most of the time, the greatest damage that's ever done to the mission of God moving forward is not the opposition. Actually, that's the best thing for the mission of God moving forward. That's a different sermon. Most of the time, the most damage done to the mission of God moving forward to the bride of Christ Taking ground in this world is lukewarm, half-hearted hearts in disguised by religion. I'm doing good. Great week. Offering plate, which we don't do anymore. <laughs> or right now, I don't know. We may do it some more later, but we don't do it right now. You know, We don't pass the offering plate. But back in the day when I was growing up, it was like, yep. Can you pass the plate a little higher so everybody can see mine? (laughs) The contamination begins with lukewarm hearts that are able to give cheap versions of sacrifice. John Owen wrote in the 1600s, so bear with the language for a second, but I was struck by this because... He talks about a generation of new divines. A generation of new idols, divines, is now in the ascendancy, is what he said. We have lived to see all these things denounced and rejected. This is what he says. We've lived to see these things denounced and rejected. Conviction, all conviction has been denounced and rejected all sense and sorrow for sin, all fear for the wrath of curse due to sin, all troubles and distresses of mind by reason of these things, they are now called foolish imaginations. They are called enthusiastic notions arising from the disorder of men's brains. The whole doctrine concerning conviction is branded with novelty and hopes expressed of its sudden vanishing out of the world. He said, we got a whole new, this in the 1600s. He's talking about us too. It's like, we got a whole new generation of new divines, new things to worship. And all all manner of conviction has been thrown out, labeled as foolishness, figments of imagination. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that many people today think they are converted because they've trusted in a cheap knockoff religion they've chosen to do it halfway and to make it about what they can do the expectation of jesus is not cheap this is new covenant look at what he said to the rich young ruler have you read this story about the rich young ruler the rich young ruler comes to jesus and he asks him what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus began to recite the Ten Commandments. He started to give them to him. Well, you know the law. This is... And the young man said, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I've kept all those since my youth. I'm doing great. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, look at this. Looking at him, Jesus showed love to him. And said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, go and sell all that you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus said, forsake the world. I know you got a lot of it. Forsake it. Give it all away. Then you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. To follow me means you must turn from where you've been, forsake it and turn to walk with me, to go my way. And look at the way that the rich young ruler responded, but he was deeply dismayed by these words and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. then Jesus laments, After this to say how difficult it is for a rich person to come into the kingdom of God. Because how difficult is it for us to give away what we have? How difficult is it for us to forsake what we own? How difficult is it for us to turn away from all the comfort and the pleasure that we've established In order to be ready for his return so that when we appear in glory with him, our reward will be there. That's hard. That's hard. The promise here, there's coming a day when hearts will be turned back to the faith that has proven true throughout the generations. He will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and fathers to their children. You remember the story of, Zachari- uh, of, of Zacchaeus, even? we got a lot of Zechs today. Z- Zach, Zech, Zechariah, Zach, Zach- Zacchaeus. Angels coming to Zechariah. Zacchaeus was a little guy, remember? And he got up in the tree. It's just enough to where he could see Jesus. Zacchaeus was the chief of all the tax collectors. I know you know this. But bear with me for a second because it's important. To lay a little context. He, was, he wasn't just a tax collector, he was the chief of the tax collectors. So this is like multi level. Marketing type of stuff. Like he got folks under him giving it up the hill. You know what I'm saying? So he was hated upon hated upon hated. He was a little guy. And so he climbs up on a tree just enough to see Jesus. And Jesus did the unthinkable and went to his house to eat with him. They were like, how could you do that? How could you go to this man's house and eat with him? Remember, God always provides a path to deliverance. And when Jesus went to the man's house and Zacchaeus was there and he repented and he turned from his ways, he he gave his his money away to the poor and he he, he shows Jesus, he says, look, I I believe, I repent, I'm giving it all away. I, I I wanna follow in your way. And look at what Jesus said in Luke 19, verse nine. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because, look at this, lineage, because he too is a son of Abraham. The people were listening. like, He's the furthest thing from Abraham. He's the furthest thing from Abraham. What are you talking about? Jesus said he's, he too is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house. This is a Bible story we've heard most of you all your life. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to hear that this lineage of grace has been established. It was prophesied of old and it was established before the foundation of the world. Jesus was coming first to die and to rise again on the third day. And he's in heaven now, but he's coming back for us. And even Zacchaeus, when he repented and believed was purchased and adopted into this lineage of grace. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children To their fathers. I believe that's what that means. You know, one of the titles of Jesus that Isaiah prophesied, right? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Have you thought about that? Everlasting father. Jesus didn't have any physical children. But he has many spiritual children. And nothing can pluck them, us, out of his hand. Everlasting Father. Many spiritual children, because his blood flows through the veins of all who have been forgiven by him. He is the everlasting father, the one who makes the promise of Abraham true for Jew and Gentile, the one who replaces all the former priests who made intercession for God's people. Jesus is the one who makes us holy and royal with his blood Hear that. Jesus makes you holy and royal with his blood. That's not my words. It's in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the work of Christ. This is the lineage of grace. You remember when Elijah was up against the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. There were 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And they were all there to prove that that the true God was not the true God. They were trying to prove that Elijah was a phony, that Elijah's God was a phony. We come to this scene in 1 Kings 18 when all of their... Things and attempts and rituals failed marvelously. And Elijah steps forward now and he says, I'm going to rebuild the altar and I'm going to call down my God to prove himself. And I want you to see the prayer of Elijah here in 1 Kings 18. Starting in verse 36. Then at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Look at this, verse 37. Listen to the parallel language. I love the Bible. Verse 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back. Side note, pray the word. You want to see things happen miraculously? Pray the word. Answer me, Lord. You want to hear him answer you? Answer me. Prove that you said this. You're the one who turned their heart back. Do it. Do it now. Then the fire, verse 38, of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. I mean, it consumed the stones. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Answer me, Lord, show them that You are the one who will turn Their heart back. I was trying to explain repentance to my six year old this week. You want to feel incompetent as a teacher? Try to explain these words that you've taken for granted for 30 plus years to a six year old who's brilliant and inquisitive and knows exactly how to stump me with her questions. Repentance is most simply to turn around, to to turn around 180, not full circle turning, not turning right back, turning around 180 and going in a different direction. It's the most simple way I can. I know how to explain repentance, to turn around, to go the other way. And I believe Because of what the Bible says, that revival follows repentance. Elijah said, show them that you're the one that's going to turn their hearts back to you. And when God turned their hearts back, they said, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And revival sprang up and God showed himself miraculously in the face of great opposition In idol worship. If we want to see our community changed by the gospel, it starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. With turning around daily, often. Repenting of where you've been and turning to where God is leading. Repenting from your sin and turning to righteousness. Forsaking your comfort and turning to His comfort and peace. Forsaking your treasure here And trusting that he has treasure for you there. So we remember what he has said and we look forward to his return. We remain ready for his return. The day of Christ has begun and we are living in it. We are living in the last days. Most of you aren't going to argue with that. You know it. You feel it. You sense it. You see it. We're in the last days. We don't know how many more last days there are going to be, but we're in them. And we wait for his return. The most important, best thing you could ever do is wait for his return. Be postured toward his return. Be prepared for his return. Live your life as if he's coming back now. Because when Christ comes, the trumpet's going to sound in a moment. And he's coming riding on the clouds. Not as a suffering servant or a little baby in a manger anymore. But as a conquering king who has already conquered the world and already conquered Satan and his armies and has the keys to death and Hades. Revelation 1, 4-7. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and released us from our sins by His blood. And He made us into a kingdom, priests to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. John says, John prophesies, every eye will see him, even the ones who pierced him. And I want you to know today that he's not just talking about the people that were On the road to Calvary and the Roman soldiers that pierced him there. For he was pierced for our transgressions. Our transgressions, my transgressions, your transgressions. Isaiah the prophet tells us he was pierced for our transgressions, he was punished for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we have been healed. And on that great and terrible day, when Jesus comes back on the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even the eyes of those who pierced him, We will wail and weep over our sin and we will mourn over what has been done and then he will take us in glory with him because there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we will be victorious forevermore. Those who are in Christ will go with him on that day. So for those who are in Christ in this room today, We must live as if the end is today. We must love as if the end is today. We must preach as if the end is today. By the way, go into all the earth preaching the gospel, making disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is a commandment for all of us. So I'm not a preacher, don't work. Because we've got to put the truth of who God is in our mouth, whether you've been taught how to or not, because His Holy Spirit will teach you. If His Holy Spirit lives in you. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for his return are you prepared and only you can answer that question only you can know if your heart has been turned back to him the one who created you has your heart been turned have you repented of your sin and turned to righteousness Are you ready for his return? As we close, I want to tell you the story of of a gardener who took care of a large estate in northern Italy. And he was hosting a visitor that came through the castle. And he was showing him the grounds and he was showing him all around and all the beautiful gardens on the property and how well-groomed it was. The visitor was blown away and they sat down for lunch. And the visitor asked the gardener, when was the last time the owner was here? And the gardener said about 10 years ago. The visitor asked him, why do you keep the garden in such an immaculate, lovely manner? What motivates you? What, how do you get up every morning and keep all of these gardens in immaculate shape? And the gardener replied, because I'm expecting him to return. The visitor asked, is he coming next week? Do you, do you know when he's coming? You're expecting him. When are you expecting him? The gardener replied, I don't know when he is coming, but I am expecting him today. And I know this is one of those like shotguns to the chest type of messages, but I've been led to do it, so I'm not gonna apologize about it. And I want you to hear those words and I want you to be challenged by the fact that we have been given a garden. To steward. We've been given a garden of gifts. Some of you have been given a garden of a family. Some of you have been given a garden of a career to steward. Have you stewarded it? Stewarded it? Well, are you prepared for his return? Are you expecting him today? The little girl asked if her hair could be combed. That might seem silly, but I love her heart. because you never know when he's going to return or when he's going to call you home first. Don't waste this opportunity to turn back to him.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org netsteps next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.